from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome, listeners. We're happy to be here with you today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Yeah. You know, we, we homeschool our kids. Well, you know, we not everyone has always been homeschooled, but right now we have three being homeschooled, one going to college. So one of the things I've thought about in being a homeschooler, homeschooling mother is that you're constantly continuing to learn. I am. You're, yes. you're not enrolled in a course, but usually, but you're always, always learning especially by reading a lot. And mm-hmm. I just thought our listeners might like to hear about that. What are you reading? What am I reading? Right now I'm rereading a book that I first read, oh gosh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago by Father Jacques Philippe. Uh, I highly recommend Father Jacques Philippe to anybody out there who wants to get deeper into your own interior life. This is the the Christian invitation, right, to, to go on this interior journey of growth and inner purification and healing of wounds and such. And I, I think of all the books I've read, or all the authors I've read, Father Jacques Philippe, he has a whole collection of short little, very easy to read books on the interior life. And he's, he's really an expert mm. in that interior journey and he puts it in such simple language the book i'm reading or rereading right now is called called to life he's really good at just helping you navigate some of those interior things i always say repeating the teaching of my own spiritual director never go poking around in your own heart on your own that can be a scary and even dangerous Mm. thing to do because we we encounter things in there. We're, we're all so deep and mysterious and complex as human beings. We have hurts in there. We have fears in there. We have all kinds of, of wounds. It's kind of like an archaeological dig. You find all kinds of stuff in there in your heart. And uh, my spiritual director always says, go within with him, you know, meaning the Lord. Go within with him. And Father Jacques Philippe is excellent at taking us on kind of a a guided tour of what we can expect in our prayer lives if we're if we're digging deep and taking Jesus down into those places of course he's already in there right that's where we find him we find him in our interior Uh, he knows all of our wounds he knows all of our memories he knows all of the all of the things that we'll discover or rediscover as we do Mm -hmm. that archaeological dig The Lord knows all about it. But because we're so complex and because there can be often a lot of hurt in our hearts, uh, we need need a guide. Mm -hmm. And Father Jacques Philippe is superb. I couldn't recommend his books to to people out there anymore. He's really superb. Oh, that's awesome. And You've read read some Jacques Philippe, haven't you? I have. I've read... Two of his books. One was on the spirituality of Saint Therese, mm-hmm. and I was actually just thinking of that book today because some flowers are blooming outside, and it reminded me of his section when he talked about 
um, her call to spiritual childhood. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've always noticed how our children respond to the sign, the early signs of spring yes. and the joy that that brings. It's it's not that it doesn't also bring me joy, but there's a certain as if those flowers were like sent by God right there for them. You yeah. know that they receive this gift, and it relates in my heart to Therese's you know love of flowers and also just call to be little. We've had an unusually uh, warm winter here in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so we have flowers appearing yep. unusually early. Yep. Beautiful. Can I share a question yeah, from a listener? Yeah, let's jump in. All right. This question, uh, the listener is anonymous, uh, says, thank you so much for all of your hard work in sharing TOB and for your love and sacrifice. My boyfriend and I are currently working towards getting engaged. However, he has a past of a porn addiction, and the thought of being intimate with him in marriage makes me scared that he will just compare my body to all of the images from his past. I'm not sure what to do with this fear. Thank you. Bless you, bless you, dear listener. Thank you for just making yourself vulnerable there and putting that question out there. I know it's a question that many, many people have. We have experience here of dealing with that hurt in our own lives. Thanks be to God, pornography has not been an issue in my life since I was a teenager. But having exposed myself to to those images as a teenager certainly warped my brain, Mm -hmm. uh, warped my thinking, and I've needed to continually expose that to the light and let the Lord heal me of those diseased ideas and images. So I want to affirm, number one, you are right to have a concern. You are right to recognize that pornography can have a deep damaging impact on our minds and our hearts and our relationships. There is no doubt about that. But also there is hope of healing I hope that you and your boyfriend and your soon-to-be fiancé are talking about these things with one another, bringing them out into the light. I don't think there's an overarching concern unless he's unwilling to talk about it or thinks it's no big deal. I don't see any indication of that in your, in your question. Uh, but if both of you are open to the journey of healing, of inner purification. Uh, We were just talking about those books by Father Jacques Philippe, uh, which while they don't deal with pornography directly, they certainly deal with helping anyone who wants to go on that journey of inner healing to make that journey. Mm. So I would recommend something like that to you. Maybe maybe start with this book called Called to Life uh, and, and just make that interior journey together. If both of you are ready and willing to commit to the interior journey of what it means to grow, to be healed, to learn what it means to love, I don't think this should be an overarching concern. It would only be, in my mind, an overarching concern would be if he is not open, doesn't see it as a big deal, doesn't want to talk about it, thinks you know, you're exaggerating things, or uh, if there's a closedness there, that would be a concern to me. What's on your mind, Wendy? Yeah, thanks. I am thinking about an interesting parallel going on in the the concern of our listener's heart about 
um, being compared to those images in that there's a feeling there of if those images were somehow to be considered perfect bodies mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. something and comparing oneself to say, well, I don't have a perfect body and will I not then be loved? That's not the only you know reaction we could have, but that's that could be part of the story is sort of a lie that pornography tells us that um, you have these perfect bodies are what we desire and are aroused by and attracted to mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. real human beings aren't you know attractive or arousing to us you're a real human being wendy and you are very attractive to me thank you thank you and you're a real human being too and i was what i was thinking was just that there's also maybe in our hearts looking for the ideal person to marry that Maybe there's a perfection of a man who never looked at pornography as being sure. more perfect, sure. you know, more sure. lovable. And so that that challenge kind of goes to both yes, members of the couple. Yes, that's very insightful, love. If you I, think, you know, I don't have to be perfect physically to be loved. Well, well, he doesn't have to be perfect in his history in order yes, to be loved yes. or in his mental struggles, you know, that sense of, don't I deserve better? And all these kinds of thoughts are all from the evil one. You know, that really and truly the grace of our sacrament is the grace to Mm. love and journey with one another and to reject those lies that have come against us and do continue to. Love you. You, uh, you, I think you're putting your finger on something so important here. And I'm, I'm again, impressed with your angle on the question and, and things that you pick up that I don't, initially pick up uh, I think the the bottom line in this question is tapping into the desire every human being has to want to know I am lovable and to have someone else say I love you and pornography is really saying to the other person you're replaceable mm-hmm. when the human heart wants to be loved as irreplaceable yes um Pornography inserts this idea of, as she says in her question, of comparing. Mm -hmm. And the human heart cries out for someone to say, you're incomparable. You can't be or shouldn't be compared to another because you are you. You are unrepeatably you. And to compare you to another is to demean you in your unique unrepeatable humanity. And I think this is the real lie, not just of blatant pornography, but of the constant message of the culture in this culture of the image that we live Mm, in, mm -hmm. where these idealized, quote, perfect bodies, end quote, are always held out to us as, this is what you should look like. This is what you should be like. And and right there is the very lie of comparing yourself to another. And part of our ongoing journey, part of my ongoing journey of, of healing has been recognizing how the culture really had had taught me and continues to want to teach me to compare myself, to compare you, to compare others to some idealized standard that 
really is a terrible injustice to the unrepeatability of the person. And I think we have to really form habits that catch ourselves, where we catch ourselves doing this and can say no to that and say, no, 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 that to catch myself in the very act of comparing another person to another person and recognize that mm-hmm. the very act of doing that is an injustice to the person. I think this is the underlying ache in this question. Mm-hmm. And, and I, both of us, obviously, we want to affirm that deep underlying need of the human heart to know you are incomparable, you are unrepeatable, you are lovable as you are. And then you brought that other very important point up, Wendy, that the, the man also wants to know that I'm, I'm loved as I am, including my, my, my history. Mm-hmm. I, I remember very early on in our relationship thinking, you know, my history was so broken that I wouldn't even expect you to love me then mm-hmm. or, or back in that history of my life. And, and you thought that very odd that I would try to split my life off, uh, in two parts and think, well, I'm lovable now because I've been a good person, uh, but I'm not lovable then because I was so rotten. That's not, that's not where we base our lovability. None of this, obviously, is to justify wrong behavior. None of this is to brush it under the rug or say it's not painful. But we desperately need to know that we are loved in our brokenness. And that's how God loves us. He loves us there in our brokenness. He also loves us with a, a, an invitation to come out of that brokenness. And we are to love one another in that same way. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the call of of authentic love, is to love the way Jesus loves us. And that's what I hear you holding out, Wendy. Mm -hmm. And I I thank you for loving me that way. And I thank you for bearing with me in my own imperfections. And just to say, you know, we can have these insights, then we have to apply them in our lives. Yeah. And that's a... Your question is, we're answering it, but we want to just acknowledge it's a journey. Yeah. We, we all have times of experiencing pain in our relationships that we need to take to the Lord and talk through with one another. I, I don't mean any of this to imply, well, if you just think this way, then you won't have to worry about right, those right, issues. Right. That's, not, that's not the claim. Shall we go on? Then? I think so. Okay. Um, Bless that dear listener. Yes, Absolutely. This is a question from a listener named Margaret who wants to know, do all Catholics who marry a Catholic have to get married in the Catholic Church? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Margaret, for that question. Let's rewind a little bit here to, to answer the question. I want to give a little context, historical context, for what we recognize today as the modern Catholic wedding ceremony. If I have my history correct here, I think I'm pretty pretty on the dates here. I think it was in the 1200s that the Catholic Church finally codified, if you will, how a couple is to get married. And it's very understandable why it came to be. For, for 1,200 years, all that was required for a marriage to be a marriage was a private consent where you have a man and a woman promise to each other that they were going to give their lives to one another, 
uh, that they would never part from each other. And then once they consummated that commitment in sexual intercourse, they had a valid marriage. Well, you can see on a practical level with our fallen nature how that could create problems. You would have men who would pledge their love or women who would pledge their love and um, then say, no, I didn't really pledge my love. Uh, See ya. Bye-bye. And so the church, to solidify the commitment of marriage, said what we need to do is to have an official witness of the church Mm -hmm. who is there to witness this commitment. And then we have to have two other witnesses from the community who are also witnesses so that three witnesses together can officially back up this commitment, right? Right. To give it a a solidity so that someone couldn't falsely commit. So that's Mm -hmm. how the modern wedding ceremony, as we know it, with a representative of the church, either a priest or deacon, and the best man and the maid of honor, these are the three official witnesses that are required Mm -hmm. to have what is called the proper Catholic form of the sacrament. Okay. So, for a Catholic to be validly married, they have to follow the Catholic form. Even if they are marrying a non-Catholic, they have to follow the Catholic form, which means an official witness of the church and two other official witnesses. Now, a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic can be dispensed from the form of having that happen in a Catholic church, but they still have to have an official witness of the church and two other witnesses. So, that's a long way of giving a little... um, Background. Well, yeah, the background (laughs) necessary to then answer the question, which is, yes, for this Catholic to be, for any Catholic to be married validly, they have to follow the form. If it's two Catholics, they would be married obviously in a Catholic church. If it's one Catholic and a non-Catholic, they can, the Catholic can be dispensed from the requirement to be married in a Catholic church, but they still have to have an official witness of the church. And I'm just finding myself wondering about like, what about, you know, say there's a, an outdoor mass location that's not technically a church. Are there, are there ever situations where that is place that it a wedding be, can be? It would be very rarely granted. Okay. Uh, there are, I have heard of some dioceses who will, in some circumstances, allow for that, but the the typical place for the Catholic wedding mm-hmm. is in a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. That's part of the form of the sacrament. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a reason for that. It's not just, it's not inconsequential. The church is the the home of the sacraments. You are, in a sense, coming into the, the womb of your mother here where, where the new life of sacraments is granted to us. Wow, I like um, that. That was a beautiful image. Yeah, there's a real reason for these things. Uh, and, of course, the idea of, of exchanging your vows at the altar of sacrifice where the Eucharist is conferred has a profound, profound meaning. Uh, The Eucharist, as St. John Paul II said, is the very source of married love. So when you come into a Catholic church and you exchange your vows before the altar, you are tapping into the very source of married love, which is the sacrifice of Christ, which comes to us through the church. 
that's that's the idea. Yeah. It's beautiful when you when you understand the reason. See, we we rebel against rules when we don't understand their logic. Right? We know this raising kids. Mm-hmm. Right? With with our parenting, we've always tried to say to our kids, "Hey, if we have a rule in our house, it's reasonable and we will do whatever we can to try to explain the reasons behind these rules. Now, there will be occasion when, because you're five years old and we're much older, you may not understand how Mm -hmm. reasonable this rule is, and you're going to have to take us, uh, you're going to have to trust us in those circumstances. But rules are reasonable. When we understand the reason behind the rules, we realize these are not just arbitrary impositions. We, We rebel when we think there's some arbitrary imposition on us. So if there's some rule in the church that you think is arbitrary, press in, press in, press in. There is a reason, a beautiful logic behind the teaching of the church. And I just feel a sense of wanting to say two other things here. One is that Please do. if somebody would be in a circumstance where it was simply impossible to be married in a Catholic church, maybe where they live or there's an illness, you know, there can be extraordinary circumstances. And I wouldn't want our listeners to hear this and go, well, the church would never, ever make an exception, so it's just not possible for me to be validly married as a Catholic because of my circumstance. We wouldn't want you to go away thinking that. When you have a very unusual circumstance, you need to talk with the representatives of the church, whether it's priest, bishop, you need to pursue something and not give up. <laughs> yeah, let's let's take somebody, say, for example, they're on their deathbed and, right. and they're in a hospital and they want to yes. get married before they die. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, yes. in these situations. And, and there's so much talk these days about the church in the Amazon because of the synod. And there are places there where Catholics, these are people who are committed to their faith, and they live in such remote areas, they haven't seen a priest in years. Mm. Uh, there are circumstances such as that, that obviously the church would not say, uh, in all of these circumstances, these are invalid marriages because uh, a priest wasn't able to reach your remote area for the last 10 years. You don't have to wait 10 years to get married. I don't know all the you know, specific applications of canon law in those cases, but I'm, I, I know there are pastoral situations, as you're raising, Wendy, that... Yeah where there would be exceptions. And I just say this because I I just don't want someone to come away and feel that the church is sort of rigid beyond reason or something. Um, And then the other thing is also thinking about the the circumstances of other people's weddings that you might hear about. They may have, you know, had some dispensation that they weren't even— really aware of. You know, a priest can meet with a couple and recognize a situation. The word dispensation might be so out of their normal world of thinking that they might not even be able to tell it to you that way. Well, we had this dispensation. But just want to have our listeners not thinking, well, now I am the authority on whether people's marriages are valid. Yes, yes. That is not our place. (laughs) That is not our place to be inserting uh, our own judgments in that regard. Yeah. If you have a concern, you know, we might want to invite someone to a further exploration in understanding. And I deal with these questions at some length in chapter three of my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, which we'll put the link to that in the show notes if people want to do some further reading. Yes, it's such a good book. 
Well, so, thank you. so helpful. Thank you. Next question is from a listener named Alexandra. Alexandra says, it was a long time ago, podcast number 13, that you answered my question about how to listen to God better. I accepted your challenge and found out how much God was already speaking to my heart through music and films. That's awesome, Alexandra. Thank you. You're welcome. That's great. (laughs) I'm still reading. It really touched my heart and helped me in prayer. However, I'm still trying to figure out what he might be saying through a chorus line. Any idea? (laughs) (laughs) And then she has another question, but I don't know if you want to respond to that one first, and then I read the rest of the question. Sure, let me respond to that one first. Okay. First of all, bless you, Alexandra. I, I can't tell you how edifying it is to me as a teacher when my students, this is inevitably a big theme in the courses that I teach for the Theology of the Body Institute, that we go on a journey of really trying to learn how to listen to how the Lord is speaking to our hearts. And I love it when a student comes up to me and realizes, oh my gosh, that favorite song I've had ever since I was a kid, I had no idea that the Lord was reaching my heart through that or Mm. that TV show or that movie or whatever it might have been or that poem or my love for nature, my love for birds or my love for the beach or whatever it might be. I, I love when a student comes alive in recognizing God has been speaking to me through these ordinary experiences of my life that are actually quite extraordinary I just didn't have the eyes to see that before. So I hear your heart coming alive here, Alexandra, and I I just want to bless you there and Mm -hmm. affirm that. Uh, The Lord knows the language of our hearts. He knows what songs we love. He knows uh, what art speaks to our heart, right? Art is the language of the heart. And the art that attracts us, it attracts us for a reason. And the Lord can use absolutely any of it to reach our hearts. Even art that might be at the surface quite distorted. Uh, There's always something good in there that's getting distorted. And so the Lord can take something that's even been distorted and untwist it and show us the goodness in there that we were attracted to. And he can work miracles of redemption in our hearts. I love uh, Carol Hauslander. She's a a modern artist and mystic. She lived in the early 20th century, died in the mid 20th century. And she said, even the most banal pop song on the radio can become exquisite mystical poetry Mm. when our hearts are, are open to it in that way. I've certainly experienced that. And it sounds like Alexandra is experiencing that too. As far as how the Lord might be speaking to you specifically, Alexandra, through a chorus line, I cannot say. (laughs) (laughs) But but I I, I would point you in this direction. You know, what is the significance of that musical in your life? Does that take you back to some memory in childhood? Are there certain lyrics and certain songs that might be opening some corner of your heart? Mm. Is there a certain piercing melody or or number that, that moves you at a deep emotional level? Uh, those would just be things to look for, uh, to be attentive to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just ask the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he can communicate to us. This prayer, as John Paul II said, is meant to be a dialogue of love. Mm. A dialogue. That means a two-way conversation. 
not just where we're speaking to the Lord, but we learn to hear him speaking to us. So I would encourage you, Alexandra, just sit down, quiet yourself, uh, maybe listen to that song from a chorus line that's that's stirring or tugging at your heart mm. and say, Lord, what are you saying to me here? Mm-hmm. And listen, he will speak to you. He He will reveal to you in a way that your own heart can receive what he's been trying to tell you. And I, I share that experience of, you know, especially feeling kind of light shining on my heart through certain movies and things that have been important to me. I definitely can see that as so fruitful. Well, I, yeah, she had another she question. She did have another okay. question, and it, it doesn't necessarily seem at all connected. So here we go with okay. Alexandria part Alexandra part two. Can you speak about the similarity of birth and death? spiritually or theologically? Yes, I can. Would you please? Oh, oh, (laughs) she didn't ask that. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, these are stupid jokes aside. Profound connections between birth and death. And this is reminding me, I just recently, a friend of mine, a colleague, sent me an article, and I will put this in the show notes an article by another colleague in the realm of theology of the body who was writing about the light that the theology of the body shines on the mystery of death. Mm-hmm. And having just lost my sister uh, last September to cancer, this is very close to my heart, and I really appreciated reading that article. So anyway, look in the show notes for that article on theology of the body and the art of dying. But here are just some preliminary thoughts about the mysterious connection. Both birth and death are a kind of passing over from one realm to another. Absolutely. And I I couldn't help. I was there when my sister died. I was holding her hand. And, you know, your, your mind, when it has a new experience, it's always going through the files, so to speak, to say, is this related to other experiences Mm. I've had? Mm -hmm. And there in the moment of my sister's death, the file that it went to, my mind went to, was the experience of the birth of our our children, Mm -hmm. where you're passing over from one realm to another. The child in the womb has no concept or very little concept, you know, might have heard voices through the womb or Mm -hmm. or what have you, but little to no concept of what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. And the the process of birth can be quite traumatic. Um, Coming into light, you've never seen light, you've never felt cold air, you're coming into this other realm, there can be a trauma involved there in in birth, Uh, but then you're welcomed into the arms of love, we hope, Mm -hmm. in the moment of your birth where your mother or your father scoops you up and you Mm -hmm. you feel that that embrace of love. Death is another passing over from one realm to the other. You know, we, we, we have little intuitions, maybe comparable to intuitions that infant might have in the womb of there are voices out there. I hear things out there. There's something on the other side. I don't know what it is, but I, I have an intuition that it's there. Well, that's, we also have those intuitions of, of this other realm, this other dimension that we have in this life. And, and death is a real, a real rebirth, a birth into this other realm. Christ himself said in 
Unless the grain of wheat go into the ground and die, it cannot bear this new life. Christ himself compared his death to the pangs of labor, of a woman in labor giving Mm. birth. These are profound, profound mysteries. I, I would encourage you, Alexandra, just to, as we were saying earlier, based on your earlier part of your question about the Lord speaking to you, where is your heart being stirred? You, you obviously have some thoughts about the connection between birth and death because you raised the question. Just take that to prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, open, open up what your questions are, what your concerns might be, what your intuitions might be, and, and let the Lord speak to you right in that place. I think you'll, you'll hear things. I can relate to that. Both the description of the passing over for the baby— into a new realm, but also to the experience of giving birth and of dying, because there's a sense of needing to surrender to a natural process Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is intimidating and Mm. unfamiliar, and yet we don't control it as much as we might like to know when is this baby coming. (laughs) You know, it would be so helpful. There is that surrender and the process of dying has that surrender as well. And yet there's something awesomely peaceful about knowing we just have to surrender. We aren't in control. Um, And I experienced that in a specific way in being with my mother during her Mm. dying, that as my mother certainly was an inspiration for me about giving birth and and I felt that she had that to call on in going through her death experience, her experiences. Actually, my sister and I both had that instinct as we spoke to her when she wasn't really responding so much. We talked with her about her experiences of giving birth and trusting, you know, on the other side of this really challenging time is something so awesome. If you shared that with me previously, I don't remember. Mm. So I'm hearing it with fresh ears and that's powerful. Yeah, and I, the other thought I had for Alexander was just, I wonder if you were to look at some of the prayers that are said at a funeral. Mm. If you might not find some beautiful words of the church that would link the experience of death and birth. And that might be that instinct you have about the theological connection would be really affirmed there. Alexander, thank you for your thoughts and your questions. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in our podcast. If you have a question you would like us to address, we invite you. Click on the link in the show notes and submit your question. We know we can't get to all the questions that are submitted, but we also can say this with certainty. If you don't submit a question, there's no chance that we will answer it. (laughs) But if you do do submit a question, there is at least a chance that we will be able to answer it. So we we really appreciate everybody who writes to us Uh, Keep the encouragement coming as well. That helps us to keep going in what we're doing. We would love if you would consider being a patron of this work at the Theology of the Body Institute. You can click the link to learn more about that in the show notes as well. We have lots of goodies for our patrons, lots of exclusive content and ongoing formation. And your monthly patronage allows us to share this mission around the world. We can't do it without you. So thank you, thank you so much for being part of this global community. Yes. 
never ever forget that you are a gift, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. (laughs) 